Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the light for all the nations of the world. May we faithfully pray and work to his light to shine in every nation, every tribe, people, and tongue. Grant fruit to the partners who are carrying the light of the gospel to other cultures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. call to worship this morning continues the theme that our mission team had at the Advent Candle from Isaiah 42. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your promise of your presence here with us this morning. For your word. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you that you call things new. Even beforehand, Father. Ahead of time. Eternal are your ways, Father. Thank you that we can be here this morning. We ask that we would engage with you and and acknowledge your presence and uh, the promises that you give to us. Powerful, powerful promises. And the great hope we'll hear today from your word from Pasquale. 
We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship, singing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Father, we do ask that you would please honor this time of offering. You've given us so much, Father. To whom much is given, much is required. Thank you for the faithfulness of this body. Those who love you and want to be a conduit of your blessing to others. Bless now as we bring our tithes and offerings to you. In Christ's name, amen. As it was said earlier, my name is Pasquale Thetford. Um, it's a, definitely a, a blessing to be here with you. Uh, to all those joining us on the live stream, I also want to say welcome and thank you for joining us. 
Um, I also want to give a, a thanks to Reverend Clark for extending an opportunity for me to come and share with you all again this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. I know in, in your bulletins it says verses 12 and 13, but after uh, examining the passage, I want to take in a larger portion of the text. So, again, that's Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. And it reads, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to the Gentiles, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We've heard the scriptures read. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help this morning. God, we we thank you this morning. We thank you for another uh, Sunday to come together and to sing your praises, to to be reminded of your grace and mercy and love to us. I ask now that you would you would speak through me. May you speak to us, teach us, convict us of our sins, cause us to have a greater hope and dependence on Christ. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. So. This morning, as we enter into a season of Advent, I want to uh, start off uh, with a question. As you think of Advent, as you think of the Christmas season, what gives you hope? When you think of Christmas, what, what brings a smile to your face? Um, I, would, I would suggest that for many of us as children, that involved the giving and receiving of gifts. I know for me, Christmas was a great time of spending time with family, um, just Tons of, of food and sweets, and um, but th- those were the icing on the cake. The cake for me was getting gifts. It was getting up Christmas morning, ripping op- you know, ripping those gifts open and seeing what, um, seeing what I have. And so, as you think of the Advent season, even as we're coming out of Thanksgiving, spending time with family is something that has been altered by uh, the coronavirus. Um, but again, as we roll into Advent, what are you hopeful for? What are you expecting um, as we think about Christ? For many of us, I'm sure we've seen and enjoyed the movie A Christmas Story. Uh, As I think of a joyful anticipation, I think of that main character, Ralphie, uh, as he was anticipating getting a red rifle, a red rider carbon action 200 shot model air rifle. This was this was his joy and anticipation for Christmas. All of his hopes and motivations were centered around getting this gift. And so like Ralphie, our, our joy during this season of Advent should bring a smile to our face, not in that we would receive a, a gift or a toy, but that we would anticipate receiving Christ, and that Christ is obviously the reason for the season and that we remember and reflect and celebrate receiving him as God's ultimate gift to us. And so as we look at our text this morning, I think Paul is um, proclaiming that Christ is our ultimate hope. And so there are three points I want to uh, focus on this morning, and that's the purpose of Christ's coming, the praise of the Gentiles, and the power to hope. Again, that's the purpose of Christ's coming, the praise of the Gentiles, and the power to hope. And so first we we look at the purpose of Christ's coming uh, when we consider this season of Advent. We are celebrating Christ's coming. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so in verses 8 and 9, Paul gives three reasons for why Christ came. We see first that Christ came to be a servant. He also came to confirm the promises of the Old Testament fathers. And also Christ came that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As we 
think about Christ's coming. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to fulfill the promises given to the Old Testament fathers. Consider Abraham when the Lord is making a covenant with him and telling him that your descendants will be as the stars. It's it's Christ that comes and makes that a reality. Even as we look down into verse 12, Paul quotes Isaiah when he prophesies that one will come from Jesse that will bring hope to the Gentiles. The promise there given to David would be that there would be one that would come from him that would set up an everlasting kingdom. And we know that to be Christ. We also see that Paul is, is saying that Jesus came that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. When you hear that, your ears should perk up. When you, when you hear that God is extending mercy to the Gentiles, there's something very important being communicated here. And so the question you should ask is why mercy? Why do the Gentiles need mercy? Well, because of sin. Gentiles need mercy because of sin. Gentiles and Jews alike, uh, all of us included, have a natural inkling uh, to sin. We love things that, that are anti-God. We love to do what he tells us not to do, and we love to, to not do the things he tells us to do. Sin is what happened in Genesis 3 when we first hear of the gospel that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And from that point on, what you see in the prophecies is that there's one uh, being proclaimed that a child is coming. There's, a, there's an infant coming that will come and do as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. we also thinking of, of Christ's coming. You see in 1 John 3 and 8 says that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. This is where we get the fulfillment of Advent. We tend to focus on the infant Jesus, the baby Jesus. But as we look through the scriptures, what we see is, is yes, a child, a king. But we also see one that is coming to do battle on our behalf. The fact that Christ came into the world, that men and women would glorify God because of his mercy is an amazing point. You see, salvation begins with mercy. In our day and time, we would probably communicate it as such that Jesus is coming is grace to the Gentiles, and that would be no less true. But the fact that Paul highlights Jesus is coming as mercy is what the praise is all about. God must first decide not to punish us for the sins that we have before we can get to grace. Because of the coming of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we experience mercy first, then grace. Jesus takes away the wrath that is always between God and man apart from Christ. And at that point, we can receive grace. This is what we see in 1 Timothy 1.5 where it declares that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so as we consider and celebrate the initial coming of Christ into the world, consider that his coming means that you can... Receive mercy, not receiving the punishment for your evil deeds. And this brings us to the point of the praise of the Gentiles. When we consider this Advent season, the the anticipation of Christ coming, um, the words that we see here penned by Paul are very important. You have Paul, who is, uh, as he referred to himself, Hebrew of Hebrews, penning that God is now extending mercy to the Gentiles. This is a, this is a major uh, point that we see in this passage. We, we lose the weight and significance of this because uh, we, we become comfortable in our position as Christians. We live in a region in the U.S. where most people would claim to be Christians even if they're not. And so the, the force of what Paul is saying often is kind of lost on us because there's typically not that major distinction between who's God's people and who's not. Typically in the South, we, we, we always think of everyone's being uh, God's people. But this is not uh, the case of what you find in the scriptures. What Paul is revealing here is the truth that God's plan of salvation always included the, the Gentiles. This is the distinction. Uh, there's a distinction that the Bible makes in the people groups of scriptures. Um, 
distinctions can be helpful. Distinctions help us to to make accurate assessments that help us avoid error in judgment. As we think of our current political, racial, and cultural climate in the U.S., there there are a growing number of people that would define uh, race and and would define uh, those distinctions as a social construct, race being a social construct, being uh, set up for the purpose of subjugating people one group over another. There are those that would, that would understand the concept of race as a tool to implement social injustice, one nation or one people group over against another. And while there, there may be some truths to that claim, when we look at the Bible, uh, the, the designation or the, or the distinction of Jews and Gentiles isn't a social construct or it, it isn't God setting up uh, the Jews to be over the Gentiles, it really boils down to this one fundamental question. Are you God's people or are you not God's people? Which family do you belong to? The Bible gives two categories of people, many distinctions, but two categories. You're either God's people or you're not. And when Jesus comes and when Jesus came into this world, he starts to unfold a plan of salvation that Gentiles would be saved by faith in Christ's work on the cross. The distinction that was once based on a bloodline and who your parents are is now being brought to its fullest reality through the blood of Christ. Again, this is a big deal. And if you want to understand how important this is, you you look no further than Jonah. Jonah couldn't he couldn't embrace. He couldn't understand or, or, or get behind the idea that God would save the Ninevites. God chose to save uh, evil and wicked people, not just any group of Gentiles. This is, these are the Ninevites. These are Israel's threat and enemy. And so for Jonah, it felt like God was committing treason against the people of Israel. You know, for Jonah, he understood that we are your people. These are our enemies. Why would you spend any time saving your enemies, saving our enemies? But what Jonah fails to, to remember is that that's always been the plan of God from the very beginning, to save all the nations. Consider Rahab, the prostitute, uh, being grafted into God's family. She wasn't born in the house of Israel, yet she's grafted in. Think about Jonah, the book of Jonah, as he's leaving the presence of God. Those mariners that, that were with him on the sea, they were converted and, and praised God through seeing God's power in the midst of that storm. Think about when God tells Israel, he's giving his laws to his people. He's telling them not to reap your crops all the way up to the edge, but to save, save crops so that the foreigner or the sojourner may come through and, and gleam and be able to eat. The idea was that they would come and perhaps they would, they would see the people of Israel and that they would have a conversation, and by that conversation, they would come to know the God of heaven. And so as we, we think about the praise of the Gentiles here, it's, it's rooted in the reality of what Christ accomplished. The use of Gentile, or the word of Gentile in this passage, describes the distinction that now non-Jews can know the covenant-keeping God. Another way that we see Gentile being used is is to refer to those that have no part with God, those who do not know God. We see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where Paul commands us to control our bodies, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. What Paul is communicating in this verse is that now that you know God, behave, behave and live like someone who knows him. Don't live as though you're a Gentile, one who does not know God. So we see that Christ came, that those who formerly had no desire to know God and did not know God could now, by his mercy and grace, come to know him. This is good news. I can think of no better way to say it than what 1 Peter 2 and 10 says. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This verse compares our position before having faith in Christ as though we were not alive. We were not a people. It could be uncomfortable to 
consider that reality, but that's the truth of the matter is that without Christ, we had no standing at all. This is why we should praise God. This is why we should rejoice in reflecting upon Christ coming into this world. The truth of the matter is that all of us start out as Gentiles. Even consider Israel. Before God chose them, they were Gentiles. They were not God's people. And so this is the reality that you see in the book of Jonah that he misses. He misses and, and, and he has this entitlement to think that we are God's people and that's always been the case and we deserve you know, to, to, for it to go the way that we want it to go. But that's not the truth of, of God's word. God longs to save those that need saving. That's the whole point of his plan of salvation. As we think of this morning, as we open with the missions team lighting the Advent candle, this is the glorious message in missions that one has come and paid for sin and that now you can receive him by faith. As this church supports missionaries around the globe, they are proclaiming the hope that we have in Jesus. Because of Christ, the distinction has now been removed. Now faith in the finished work of Christ is the evidence of belonging to God's family, not circumcision, not anything other than faith in Christ. I like how the book of Acts in chapter 15, verses 8 and 9 says it, where it says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. This is the this is the reality that the Jerusalem council had to embrace as they're considering what to do with the fact that now we have to include Gentiles as a part of God's people. And it's not just us and our laws and our and and the way that we live life. Now we have to embrace those who who speak a different language and have other cultures because of their faith. In Christ. So consider how how might your Christmas season be different if you reflected on that reality every day that because Christ came, I now belong and I have hope before Christ. I was a nobody. But because of Christ, I now belong to Christ's body, his church. And finally, we want to examine our third point, the power to hope. Paul, in, in verse 13 of this, of this chapter, offers up what some would consider his uh, first benediction before he gets to, to the end of the book. Paul's prayer here is that God would fill us with hope. When we think of hope, it's important to make a clarification on, on what the Bible means when it says hope. And so we use hope in a term, in, in the sense of saying I hope it doesn't rain today, or or I hope the Falcons will win today. Um, But as we think of those types of hopes, neither one of those really bring out the force of what what Paul is trying to say here. When we use hope in that sense, it's it's really more of a chance. It's a 50-50 chance of something that that I'm expecting. I would uh, would desire it to to not rain. I would desire it not to – I would desire the Falcons to win, but the reality in those things – I have no expectation of, of, of a confident anticipation of those things happening. So biblically speaking, when we think of hope, it's, it's the confident expectation, the anticipation of a reality. Consider Simon in, in Luke chapter 2. Uh, the Bible says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which was Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't hoping in the sense that I hope Jesus would come. I've heard of this Messiah. I think it might happen. I, I, I hope so. He knew it was going to happen. He just hoped he would live long enough to see it. And this is the biblical view of hope, this confident expectation in the reality of a promise. And so Simeon in, in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Again, it's worth noting here, here you have Simeon referring to the Gentiles being a part of this great salvation. When we consider the hope that we should have in this season, 
it's in the sense of this confident expectation that Simeon had. Paul, in verse 13, points the Romans to the truth that God is a God of hope. This should encourage us this morning that as we learn more and more about God, our confidence in his word should grow. God is a God of hope. He's the source of hope. And as we see the record of how God has dealt with his people throughout the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures, we are reminded of his faithfulness. Jesus' coming fulfills the covenants made with the fathers of Israel. What we see in the Old Testament is a God that makes promises and covenants and is faithful to keep them despite the continual sins of his people. This is what makes God the God of hope. When you read a covenant or promise from God, you can depend on it. So much so that there should be no doubt whether or not it will happen, only an expectation and anticipation of that reality. And so when it comes to God and his promises, it's not, it's not if but when. What this means for us is that we can have joy and peace because the one we hope in is sure to come. Our Advent reflection is one of celebrating Jesus' entering the earth and a joyful expectation of his second coming. Paul prays that God would fill the Romans with joy and peace in believing. But believing in what? What is the thing that they should have faith in? They believe in the gospel, believing that Jesus came, that we might have eternal life in him. What Paul is is asking God to do is to fill us with joy and peace as we believe the God of hope produces hope in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, filling us with joy and peace in the gospel. That joy and peace is based on what Jesus did, and it is the thing that encourages us to long for what he will do. To revisit our example of the Christmas story, our character, uh, Ralphie, what he longed for was the joy and peace of having that, that, that red rifle. Ralphie was determined to obtain it. He even sought to overcome those that would, would, would shake his peace and, and joy in having that rifle. As we remember in that movie, his mom, his teacher, and even Santa gave him that famous line of, you can't have a rifle, kid, because you'll shoot your eye out. But that didn't stop him from believing. He knew that he, if he could just get his hands on that rifle, all would be well. And this is a you know, funny example for us of a kid's expectation of a gift, but it, it bears true for many of us in our lives. Ralphie hoped in something that would not satisfy. It's a, it's a rifle. It, he could have gotten it on Christmas Day and it blown to pieces, or in the weeks to come, the thing could have fallen apart. That's a, that's a dead hope. That's the type of hope that you have to keep alive. That's the, the type of expectation that is momentary. It doesn't satisfy. But what God saves us to is a, is a living hope, a hope that keeps us alive. First Peter 3 declares that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, there it is again, we, we meet mercy before grace. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what are you hopeful for this morning? Are you having to keep your expectation and, and anticipation alive? Are you having to keep this hope alive or does it keep you alive? Are you hopeful for a vaccine for the coronavirus? Has your hope been shaken, depending on the results of the election? Have you lost hope? 2020 for us has been a terrible year for us. Uh, news reports tell us that suicide rates have been on the rise this year. And 2020 has been a, a trying year with twists and turns that seem to only get worse and not better. This year has been one of those years that reveals where our hope lies when we consider those things of politics, the economy, um, and various things that we've placed our hope and trust in, when those things begin to be shaken at the core, it reveals where our hope truly lies. And while there are many things that we have hoped for, none of those things should be on the same level as our hope in Christ. If they are, you either have too little hope in Christ or you have too much hope in the things of this world. From Paul's prayer here, we can confidently say that it's the will of God that we be overflowing with hope. 
depending on your translation, it may say abounding in hope. But I, I, I like the idea of overflowing like a spring or a brook, never running out of hope, having enough hope to give to someone else. Paul is praying that we will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this way, we see the Trinity acting on our half, uh, behalf to have a living hope. Jesus came to purchase our hope. The God, God the Father, fills us with joy and peace that we may have hope. And then we see the Holy Spirit overflowing us with hope. So if this is not your reality this morning, you should ask the question of why. Why am I not, why am I not experiencing this overflowing, bubbling sense of, of, of hope in my life? In God, we have the power and sustaining ability to always have hope, but I'm sure there are those of us who are not experiencing life in this way. What are those reasons? Are you distracted by the false hopes, as, as were Ralphie in the Christmas story? Are we clinging to things that are, that are temporary and short-lived? Regardless of the reason, they all boil down to the fact that we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. He is the object of our confident expectation. So when we allow anything to take us off of Jesus, we begin to lose hope. We must have hope in the truth that God promised and has sent his son for the removal of our sins. He is faithful and just to keep to keep his word and bringing us to eternity with him. So what should we hope in now? What is the expectation and longing that we should have now? I want to leave you with three promises we could be here for for hours to to look at the promises that we have in Christ uh, from the New Testament. But I want to leave you with three. Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, after giving what we all know as the Great Commission, Jesus promises his presence with us and saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we could stop right there because really what we need is the presence of God. Jesus promises to be with us. And that's really all we need. The Psalms tell us that in his presence are joys and pleasures forevermore. But also consider John 14, 3, which says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. This is the promise of his second coming, that if Jesus came once and that resulted in the salvation of his people, we can certainly count on his coming again and bringing all who have faith into eternal life with him. The work has been done. Now we get to proclaim his second coming and urge men and women to have faith in Christ. And finally, consider Revelation 21, verse 4, which says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I just love this picture of Jesus in the end, whether it's literal or figurative, wiping away the tears from our eyes, where we have journeyed through this life and all of its hardships and trials and tribulations, and we get to see him, and we know and recognize that he understands, he sympathizes with us with the suffering that we go through in this life, and he comforts us. And so even in a year like this year where we've lost loved ones, we had many losses this year, we have not lost our Savior. This is the joy that awaits us that we can get excited about now. Our confident expectation in Christ's coming doesn't mean that you're checked out from reality or you're on some kind of superficial spiritual high, but it's, it's the reality that you're looking beyond what you see in this life. The things that we see aren't all that there is. At some point, coronavirus, we will be done with it. In eternity, we will look back at those things and glorify God for, uh, for his grace and his faithfulness to us. There's a God of hope in heaven, and one day we will see him and look upon his face. That's the, that's the encouragement that we have this morning. First Thessalonians 4 and 13 encourages in saying, We grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Again, in Psalms 126 and verse 5, it says that those that sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. It's going to be a glorious occasion when Christ comes and we get to live in eternity with him. 
This is the joy that we should have even now. That Paul prays that God would fill you with this joy. This joy that can't be quenched by a bad year or this joy that can't be silenced by a global pandemic or the joy that that isn't uh, stolen from us by a medical diagnosis, but a joy that is everlasting despite the trials that we face daily. And so do you, the question is, do you have hope this morning? Do you need hope this morning? What are you expecting? What are you longing for? I would encourage us to trust in Jesus, run to Jesus. He has come to pay for your sins and is yet coming again for his people. We can have great, we can have great anticipation in that this morning because Jesus gave his best for us while we offered our best to him. He gave us hope when we didn't even know we needed hope. I like the way that uh, Romans 5 and 8 puts it when it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If Christ would do that for us when we had no desire for him, we can have hope that he would keep his word to us and bring us into eternity with him. And so the coming of Jesus to overthrow sin and death provides us with the confident expectation of his second coming. Let's rejoice in that hope as we lead up to Christmas and into next year. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his, his initial coming and how that has resulted into the saving of his people, the sa- the saving of us this morning. We, we know you because of the work of Christ on the cross. God, thank you for choosing us. Thank, us. thank you for making us a people. Though we were not a people now and we have come to know the grace and mercy of Christ, we are a people. So I pray, God, that you would fill us, just as Paul said, fill us with the joy and peace in believing the gospel. May this be something that would mark our lives throughout this Christmas season, throughout this Advent season. God, I pray that we would have hope, enough hope to give to others, that others would see our disposition and our, our face and our countenance and our joy in the way that we live. And may they be cause to ask, what is, what is it? It's something different about you. And may we be able to proclaim the glories and the joy that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.